Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And once you've located 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, in a moment we're going to be reading the first seven verses of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Also have, um, if, if you have a ribbon, maybe put it in Ephesians chapter 2 as well. So that's 1 Timothy chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be reading two sections, two short sections from those chapters of God's holy and infallible word. This evening we're going to be looking at the topic of the mediator of the covenant of grace, the mediator of the covenant of grace. And there's no one specific uh, proof text that we have here this evening. We're going to be looking at various parts of scripture for this, but our main one will be uh, this one here from 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, verses 5 and 6, which says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But before we read this, I want us to think about what is a mediator? Before we read anything, before we think about anything, what is a mediator? And I suppose a way to think about this is, have you ever fallen out with anybody? Have you ever seen people fall out with each other? Probably say, no, that's never happened to me, not me at all. But when, when is a mediator very, very useful? When one person will not talk to another person. You might have seen it yourself. You have two friends and they won't talk to each other. But you're close to both of them and you can talk to one and you can talk to the other. Perhaps both are at odds with each other. Now, everyone has seen parties or people fall out with each other. You yourself may have been the stubborn party, you may have just been somebody who helping out, or you may have been somebody that has been, you know, could be offended by something or whatever. But a mediator, somebody comes in between two people and brings about peace. And those are great friends to have, uh, those who bring about reconciliation. Because without a mediator sometimes, Sometimes reconciliation does not happen. But what is necessary for somebody to be a mediator? I want us to think about this for a second. For somebody to be a mediator between two parties, there's got to be respect on both sides. So, uh, person A, person B. Uh, This person has has to have respect for that mediator. That person who's going to talk to that person. And with the other person as well. Or it does not work to bring about reconciliation. Now that's between two finite creatures. That's a human relationship. Um, Between fallen creatures. What about a relationship with God? Uh, the, The difficulties become much greater. In human relationships, there's difficulties. But it's even greater between between fallen men God. Proud man will say he is okay, that he doesn't need a mediator. Um, in fact, proud man will say, well, God would be blessed to be in my presence. And that's the, the heart of sinful man. Um, sinful man thinks that God owes him. He does owe him, but not what he thinks. Um, what our sins are owed to us is death and hell, not blessings. 
How can a mediator satisfy the needs of both parties? And both parties here is God, the infinite, holy, righteous God, and fallen, sinful man. How to bring man to the infinite and holy God? That's what the question is here this evening. To be received by God. Because there's an, it's not even just, I remember this morning we were looking at a, a gulf between the children of God and the children of Satan. That's a huge gulf. But the gulf between man and God is infinite. Infinite. Because of who God is. How can we have a relationship with, with God? We need a mediator who is both God and man. So we need to look to him this evening. Look to him to bring you to the Father in heaven. So first of all, we're going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And then we're going to turn then and look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Let us hear God's holy and his infallible word. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And please turn with me also now to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 down to the end of the chapter in verse 22. Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 11. Therefore, remembering, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you, who were afar off, and to those who were near. And through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom... You also have been built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word here this evening. We live in a 
world that seems to constantly be at war. And, you know, when you turn on the news, there seems to be a conflict here and a conflict everywhere. Um, Sometimes we live in some parts of the West. It's hard to get our minds around. We may see it in the media. We see the conflict in Ukraine. Perhaps there will be more conflicts in other parts of the world. You know, we've experienced such relative peace since World War II. Um, And it's quite strange if you look across history. The world has known fighting and war of some form or another for thousands of years with relative little break in between. Northern Ireland, recent times, we've been blessed to have relative peace for the last few decades. But it is still a world full of conflict. And the conflict is not just on the battlefield. It's in the home, uh, schools, in the church. Um, We just mentioned Ukraine and Russia. Um, In the media, on the internet, uh, there's conflict seems to be everywhere. And this conflict is really just fruits and evidences there's something wrong in the world. Something's not right. And this all goes back to the fact that we're fallen. Fallen in Adam. For thousands of years, we have seen the fruits of this ultimate conflict going right back to the fall of Adam. Man at war with God. At war with the godly seed. It goes right back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 there are two seeds. The seed of the woman, the godly seed, and the seed of the serpent. And the godly seed, which is really Christ, will crush the head of the serpent. This war really goes back to that point. So, we could look at it at this point and think, are we without hope? If we just looked at that information, things would seem pretty bleak. But we should not lose hope. Many people around the world have lost hope. They see the world as a tragic place and there's no hope at all. And it's a very sad place for many young people. And they cannot even face life itself. But there's one who brings hope, only one who brings hope. And only one who brings peace, an end to this conflict. It may be hard to picture it, but this conflict we see all around us, it will come to an end one day when Jesus returns, the mediator, the one who mediates in between both God and man and thus bringing peace. The first point we're going to look at here this evening on our our, our topic of the mediator, the covenant of grace, is the need for this mediator. The need for the mediator. And it's going to be based, as we said earlier, on questions 36 to 42 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. um, Dealing with the mediator. Now, to appreciate this mediator, we need to see our need. We need to see our need. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. For there is one God and one mediator... Between God and man, the man, Christ, Jesus. One mediator between God and men. We need to see our need. And if we don't see our need, we won't appreciate him. We won't appreciate how special it is to know him. 
We have so much in the Western world. I, I probably repeat this a lot, but we, we really do. If you meet people from other parts of the world, if you live uh, parts of Asia, if you live in parts of... I lived in Italy for a while. The, the relative comfort that we have in comparison with some countries is, is incredible. It's nothing terrible, but we can often forget our need when we're so comfortable. Um, our greatest need is really in Christ. Man has fallen in Adam, as we said earlier. Man was tempted with, with the, the forbidden fruit. He partook of the forbidden fruit, breaking the law of God, breaking the covenant of works in the Garden of Eden, and brought, bringing death and sin and all the misery we see around us upon us. We've always got to remember where this suffering comes from because it can be tempting for us to complain to God. But the suffering came in, not because of, uh, not because of at the beginning, because God created it all good. Men broke the law of God and have a great problem. Once Adam had perfect peace with God, once Adam had all the blessings of the Garden of Eden and then he fell. He fell. He became an enemy of God. He became at war with God. He became enemies of God. The thing we need to realize is in all this, before the creation, after the creation, before the fall and after the fall, God never, ever changed. We did. We did. It says here in Psalm 5.5, it says this, The boastful shall not stand in your sight. What does it say of God toward the workers of iniquity? You hate all workers of iniquity. There is a wrath that God has for those who are outside of God, who do not trust the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a problem. Now, we have lost, one thing we've got to realize since the fall, we've also, we're sinners, yes, and we're fallen, but we've lost our ability to keep the law of God. We, not even for a single second, not even for a single millisecond, can keep the law of God perfectly. There's not been a single second in my life or your life where we've ever loved God as much as we ought to have loved him, or our neighbor for that matter. We've always fallen short. I always imagine this when you, know, when, you, when you read Romans 3 verse 23 and it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's almost like we're, we're just close. You know, you're trying to jump up and hit the ceiling or we're very close. We're nowhere close. We're not even close. We fall short of the glory of God. We've lost our ability to keep the law. Adam was created upright and holy. Adam was able to keep the law, but he was also able to sin. He fell, of course, we know this. But we are not capable of not sinning. Now, this is not an excuse, but this is just a fact. We are not capable of not sinning. Sinning is as natural to us as breathing. Adam, before the fall, could keep the law. And the the way to eternal life was open at that point in works. But as soon as Adam fell... The door is shut. The door is shut. Now, there's only one way. And it's through one who kept the law in our place. The second Adam. His perfect work opens the way 
to eternal life once more. See the necessity, friends? See, the more we see how far we fall short, and the more we see our need, the more we cling to him. The more we're so grateful for him. It's like, you know, you're in the middle of the desert, and you see your thirst. You're so grateful for the water once you finally find it. He is needed, so needed. And, and, and the thing is, not only did he have to die in our place, but he also had to obey and keep the law perfectly in our place in order to be accepted before God, in order to stand in our place. I say all this because it's very easy. Oh yes, Jesus is my mediator and we can learn off Christian lingo in Christian cultures. But it's so easy to hear these things and to stop appreciating them. Especially when you, maybe, maybe when you've grown up with them. Um, it's like, you know, when you get a new car for the first time, the new car is wonderful. And, you know, you say, oh, it's brilliant. And after a while you go, oh, I didn't notice that dent there before. And then you start noticing all the imperfections. Or, you know, a new house. It's brilliant for the first month or two. And then after a while, mm, that needs to be fixed. That needs to be fixed. We can take things for granted, is my point. We can take our family for granted. We can take our husbands and our wives for granted. We can take our children for granted. We can take our jobs for granted. You know, often, you know, when we're in our work and we, we, we kind of go, uh, you know, you might be annoyed with your work, but then you're away for that work for a while, you miss it. And we can miss it. We can take our friends for granted. And it's only really when things are taken away from us that we see how great they are. And you never know when, when, when somebody passes away. And you remember how wonderful they are. It's only when they pass away that you think, oh, I'd love to see them one more time. And you remember all the blessings. And sometimes when something is in front of us, we don't appreciate it as much. Let's not forget our need of this saviour, of this mediator. Um, this friend, and he is a, tr- a friend that sticks closer than any other. Uh, this saviour, he faithfully kept the covenant. This man is the truth, the way, and the life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see your need of him? See, without him, you have nothing. But with him, you have everything. It says in question 36 of the Westminster Larger Catechism, who is the mediator of the covenant of grace? The answer is, the only mediator of the covenant of grace is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, of one substance and equal with the Father, in the fullness of time became man, and so was and continues to be God and man in two entire distinct natures, and very important, and one person. And one person forever. There's no, is there anyone else can be the mediator? Is there anyone else can fit the description? A mediator between God and man cannot be a preacher. It cannot be a priest. It cannot be, as came, came in, the churches of, in the church of old, it cannot be the saints. It cannot be Mary, uh, the mother of Christ. It can only be Christ. And when the church has gone awry many hundreds of years ago, it's often tried to go to other mediators of speaking with God. He alone is the mediator we need. He brings us peace. It says in Ephesians 2 verse 14, For he himself 
is our peace. It was made both one and broken down the middle wall of separation. So that's our first point, the need of this mediator. The need of this mediator. Number two, now the provision. The provision of this mediator. Not only do we have this great need, but he also sent everything we need for salvation and life. God manifest in the flesh. To de- came, as we saw this morning, to destroy the works of the devil. You see, dear friends, we are by nature sinners. We are sinners. We are by nature Gentiles. As it says here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says, Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision, well, it's called uncircumcision, made, made in the flesh by the hands. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Basically, they were outside of the visible church. They were pagans. You know, in the New Testament, you'll see Gentiles. The, the, the equivalent word in the Old Testament is nations. See, Israel was the only nation upon the earth who followed God. And whenever the word nations was used, that's everybody else. They were all following pagan gods. And Israel had this great privilege that the Lord opened their eyes and set his love upon them. But reminding them here, Paul writing to the Ephesians, you were once Gentiles, you were once outside the covenants of promise, you were once without hope, but now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Isn't that amazing? That what is necessary to bring you close to God is not something you have done or can do or will ever do. It is something that God has given. Isn't that amazing? Our need is met by what God has given. What we need was someone who is true God and true man sent by the Father, sent to die, sent to suffer, sent to endure the pain of the cross because God cannot overlook the punishment. He can't just turn a blind eye. What would you think of a judge, right? And you came before the judge and the person was guilty and he just said, okay, I'll overlook all your offenses. You would think that was a corrupt judge, He should lose his license. Mm. But God is not a corrupt judge. He's a just judge. So there has to be the punishment of those sins. And the thing is, the question is whether the wrath of God has been poured out upon Christ in your place. Or will you face it? That they're the only two options. God will have his justice satisfied. Paid for. This is one of the reasons why hell is for eternity. You can never pay it back. You can never ever pay it back. Christ came. The king of glory. But he didn't come to be popular did he? Um, He didn't come with health, wealth and popular message of here is your way to riches or anything else like that. He came to die. And the message was so offensive that even Peter rebuked him. 
Is that the idea that the king of Israel is coming to die? No, no, you're going to kick out the Romans, right? No, he endured humiliation. He said things that needed to be said. And at that time, it was a very religious culture, and it needed correction. It needed correction. He came, he died upon a Roman cross. And I think we, we miss today, we certainly miss the offense of the cross. The cross, see, we, we've never seen the horror of a man dying on a cross. And even the shame. Uh, this was kind of really for the reserved for the worst of criminals. The most excruciating death. But he, he paid it gladly. He did not bow to the expectations of the day. He bowed to the Father in everything he did. Everything he did. He is our peace who has made both one. And broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Ephesians 2.14. Because he endured. And again, dear friends, you see. This is all not. Hey, do, you know, because often sometimes you can present a Christianity. There's just do this, do this, do this. Here's five steps to a better life. Seven steps to a better marriage. Or whatever else it is. He has done it all. He's provided it all. He, is, he represents you before the Father. That's what he's given you. Now imagine, say you're in trouble with the law. You're in trouble with the law. And before you're going to court, you have no money. Actually, in fact, you're in debt. You owe other people. You have no way of affording any legal representation. You can't afford a solicitor. Imagine if somebody rang you up on the phone and a solicitor says, look, we'll cover you. We'll represent you. That's brilliant. Oh, but one problem. I've got a bad record. It uh, doesn't matter how good your solicitor is, or your barrister, or anything else is, your record is bad. You're guilty. You'll lose the case, right? In this case. But what if your legal representative can give you his record? He's not looking at your record anymore. He gives us his. He takes ours and pays the penalty for ours. He gives us his by faith. His law keeping. Remember how we said, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and we've never loved God and for one single second as much as we ought to have loved God. He gives us his love of God. His perfect law keeping. His obedience to the law. His forsaking of idols. His endurance. His love of neighbor. Yours by faith. Yours by faith in him and in him alone. He washes away your your sin by his blood. And he clothes you. And this picture is often used in the scriptures. Of someone who is on the side of the street almost... Uh, covered in, in, you could say, in, in filth and mud, and washed, clothed, and covered in royal robes. That's almost the picture that's given. The royal robes are righteousness. So that when the Father sees you, it is his great pleasure to accept you into his presence. See, this, friends, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be, have this privilege of coming into the presence of God 
here this evening. That we have, that the Lord dwells among us. It is not a privilege everyone has. It is only for those that are seen as just, holy, and righteous. And the thing is, in ourselves we're not, but in Christ we are viewed as that. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. This is in 1 John 2, 1. Jesus Christ, the righteous. His record is yours. If you cling to him, if you trust him. But we have to ask the question, how does the death of one man pay for so many sins? How does the death of one man pay for the sins of everyone here? Not just everyone here, but everyone who would ever believe. From Abel and Adam and anybody else who trusted in Jesus, all the way to the last saint at the end of time. How? How can the death of one man pay for all the elect of God? Because Jesus is God. He is of infinite value. It says in Isaiah 53 verses 10 and 11, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him or to crush him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied, and by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities, therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, and it was numbered, with the transgressors. This is the, our great mediator. And he bore the sin of many. Think about how that is possible. For one man. And made intercession for transgressions. How? I, I don't know if we think about this. We should think about this. He had to be God. In order that the, the value of his atonement. His sacrifice was infinite. And could pay for the sins of all those who would be chosen before the foundation of the world by the Father and in Christ. Now think about the value of Christ. Do we here value him? His value is infinite. Do you ever see, um, sometimes they'll talk about the value of, you know, if you go to the Louvre Museum and people say, how much is the Mona Lisa? I want to buy it. It's priceless. There's no real price you can put on it. Well, come on, no, 10 million, 10 billion, how much? You know, they'll say priceless. This value is far greater than that. It's infinite. It's infinite. Do you value his gift? And and here's the thing. It's almost as if, imagine if somebody gave you the Mona Lisa. Just gave it to you. You don't have to do anything. just, Just receive it. It'd be a pretty amazing gift, wouldn't it? Here's a much better gift. A much, much greater gift. And if we value this gift, worship, it's a delight. It's an absolute joy. It's an absolute privilege. Because worship is about God, not us. Question 38 of the Westminster Larger Catechism says this. Why was it requisite or needed that the mediator should be God? says this, it it was requisite that the mediator should be God, that he might sustain and keep the human nature from sinking under the infinite wrath of God and the power of death 
and this is important here, give worth and efficacy to his sufferings, obedience and intercession, and to satisfy God's justice, procure his favor, purchase a peculiar people, give his spirit to them, conquer all their enemies, and bring them to everlasting salvation. But there's one point I want to really hone on in here in this, in this question 38. The worth and efficacy. Plus also maintaining his human... Imagine the, the, the wrath of God, the, the infinite wrath of God was poured upon him. We can never really wrap our minds around what Christ endured for us. See, we often think about the nails and the cross itself. Nothing compared to the wrath of God. Absolutely nothing. He bore the wrath of God. Has he given you life on this earth? Dear friends, he's given you far more. He's given you his son. He's given you his son. He's given you, the son of God himself has given you himself. And sometimes when in our Christian commitment, when we want to hold back and think about Christ gave to you. Did Christ hold anything back in his commitment to you? In any single second? Did he ever restrain? Did he ever keep some, something back for himself? No. Think of that, dear friends. Think of that. Our last point this evening is the seed of this mediator. The seed of this mediator. So the need of this mediator, the provision of this mediator, and finally, number three, the seed of this mediator. We spoke of earlier in Genesis 3.15, there's a promise of the victorious seed, the seed of the woman. It says, and I will put enmity between you, that's division, conflict, this is the conflict we talked about earlier, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. Verse 6 in 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this. This is speaking about this one mediator. Who gave himself a ransom for all. To be testified in due time. Who gave himself a ransom for all. For all who will believe and trust in him. All in this victorious. In this victorious seed. None of us like conflict, do we? No. Actually, we shouldn't like conflict. But there's only one way for true and lasting peace. Um, one of the things of political ways of peace, they're so temporary. They might last for about 10, 15 years, and then before you know it, the same old problems emerge. In Christ, enmity dies. Division dies. True unity lasts forever. It says in Ephesians 2, verse 15 to 18, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That same word. The enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. That he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. 
And through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Basically, true and lasting peace comes to those who are in Christ. Those who have looked to Jesus Christ, who are his sheep, his people. Those represented by the mediator himself. Those whom Christ became a ransom for. Have great privileges. And we spoke about this morning, sin is horrible, it is ugly. He delivers us from our sins. He takes away the consequences of our ugly deeds. And he brings us to righteousness, clothes us in righteousness. And he doesn't just keep us, you know, in the, in the old temple, there was the inner temple, and then there was the outer temple. He doesn't just keep us in the outer temple. He, he brings us close to him. He brings us into his inner courts. He makes us fellow citizens. As it says here in verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 2. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Those words are very, very similar to each other. But they're you know, no longer temporary dwellers in the land. You are no longer Those who will come and are not really part of the country, no. It says, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There's no distance. There's no, God doesn't keep us at arm's length. We may do that at times with God. Or attempt to do that. But God does not, in Christ, keep us at arm's length. He brings us to himself. If we trust him. If if Christ is your mediator, your high priest, he brings you into the Holy of Holies. This intimacy, this sweet, wonderful intimacy. There's a lot of pictures that are used to show you you're not away from God. The closest reality you have is because the God you serve and the God you've been brought close to in Jesus Christ Fills all things. He's omnipresent. You know that that doctrine of he's everywhere. And we we can't wrap our minds around this. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter where you are. He's there. He's there. And it's at those moments. When you do feel alone. That you need to remind yourself of that sweet intimacy you have. In Christ this mediator. Because you're part of his seed. You're part of his people. And doing that, we rely upon him alone. We rely upon what he has done for us. Question 40 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. Why was it requisite or needed that the mediator should be God and man in one person? It was requisite that the mediator who was to reconcile God and man should himself be both God and man. And this is in one person. That the proper works of each nature, that's both God and man, might be accepted of God For us and relied on by us as the works of the whole person. Relied on for us. So when we've had a terrible day, when we've, okay, we've sinned. But we're not relying on our works, are we? For a relationship with God. Yes, we should repent. We should ask the Lord for forgiveness. But we rely upon his finished work. So it's not that... God will one minute have you close and intimate with him and then just cast you off. We may feel like that at times. 
And Psalms speak about things like that. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? There's much turmoil in the inner man that can happen within pretty much every Christian at times. But it's those times the Lord may take away his outward tokens of his blessings to bring you closer to him. There are times when he will strip away almost everything outwardly so that you'll see I'm part of his people and I'm going to rest more upon him. Sometimes when we're going through the hardest times as his people, as his seed, ask yourself, what is God teaching me here? Is he teaching me patience? Is he, is he teaching me to not rely upon that thing? I remember when I was, I finished college and I was waiting for a call and, a, and it, it was a bit hard at first, but after a while, the Lord just gave me a great contentment of just being a Christian. I wasn't, I stopped thinking about, look, whether I get a call or don't get a call. Look, it's, it's just enough to serve God. And I'm actually glad it was a while before I got a call. Because we can make good things, like the service of the Lord, our idols, rather than God himself. The object of our satisfaction. To depend on him. To, to enjoy him. Even if the Lord took away our health. Even if the Lord took away whatever it is. I remember a man who was a, 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 really a, a mentor of mine before, before the end of his life, David Silversides. I don't remember his preaching as much as I remember his, his testimony at the end of his life. He could barely move. But the joy and peace in his heart was incredible. I saw him, I think it was a few weeks before he passed away. That speaks volumes. He didn't, I never heard him complain. He just accepted it and he was the Lord's will. The Lord's will. His joy didn't come from preaching. His joy came from God. It's very important that our joy comes from God. It's a great thing to be, to be part of the seed. It's a great thing to be part of this building. As we conclude here this evening... We don't like to think of war, do we? I think even uh, in the media, we can grow tired of hearing bad news. We just need to switch it off for a while, which is normal. And sometimes we can want peace at all costs, even at the cost of truth. But there's true and lasting peace here. And he is the truth, the way, and the life the only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He and he alone can reconcile us to God. And by the way, friends, he can reconcile others. He can reconcile that friend of yours who doesn't know the Lord. You meet him every day. He can reconcile him. He can reconcile family members to God. Pray for them. Pray for opportunities to share this wonderful mediator with them so that they too can know that peace and bring them into sweet fellowship with God. Amen.